The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When Jesus had driven out a demon, some of the crowd said, By the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he drives out demons. Others, to test him, asked him for a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be laid waste and house will fall against house. And if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that it is by Beelzebul that I drive out demons. If I then drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your own people drive them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come among you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his palace, his possessions are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he takes away the armor on which he relied and distributes the spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of someone and roams through arid regions searching for rest, but finding none, it says, I shall return to my home from which I came. But upon returning, it finds it swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and brings back seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, who move in and dwell there. And the last condition of that man is worse than the first. The Gospel of the Lord. Every now and then in the Gospels, we're confronted by a series of statements from Jesus that upon concluding them, one wants to pause and say, where do I even begin? Uh, because so much has been said, one thing following after another, that it can be somewhat overwhelming. And this discourse of Jesus in response to the attitude of those around him is one such passage like that. Our readings today present us with very sharply worded statements from heaven. Our first reading, in fact, is a reading we will hear again in about five months on Ash Wednesday. The reading from Joel that begins the penitential time of Lent. But hearing it today, it serves as a reminder that while the Lord is patient with 
sinners. While the Lord is merciful and desires not the death of the wicked, but his repentance, the Lord does not tolerate or enjoy evil and wickedness. And there will come a time when such, a th such things and all that is built upon them will be brought to a sudden and non-gentle ending. Good, in the end, casts out and does not abide wickedness. And so this strong reminder from Joel is a call to the people to see what has taken up residence in their hearts and also to see where their hearts have taken up residence. Interesting, then, that the issue of what resides in the heart is at the very center of what Jesus says in the gospel today. We obviously live in a sin-fallen, sin-afflicted world. And that has given a double character to our hearts. On the one hand, wickedness quite easily and readily takes up residence within us, and that is the painful truth. But the other piece of that is our hearts all too easily, all too readily, are content to make their home as well in the wickedness that this world offers us. And it's not just that sin dwells in us, it's also that we make our home within sin. And so it is that Jesus, as he moves, illustrates this in part by liberating many of those who are afflicted by evil, destructive spirits. And so it is here that he casts out the demon from one who is so afflicted, one who is, as we say today, possessed. Think of that word for a second. When you possess something, you control it. And to say that one is possessed by a demon, that one is possessed by a wickedness, is to say that the life of this one is under the control of that dark power. That's one thing to say with regard to something as dramatic as demonic possession. But consider for a second your own automatic reactions to certain situations. How quickly your emotions can overheat and overwhelm you. How readily your anxieties begin to control your thinking and you're acting. Consider what preoccupies you on a daily basis and how it shapes the living of your life, often without you realizing it. These are forms of possession too. Not demonic, but something outside of ourselves which ends up controlling us, often without our knowing it. There are many forms of slavery and oppression. Some of them are obvious and some of them are not. But they're all real. 
And so here it is that Jesus frees a life from that which oppressed him, that which possessed him. And the reaction is remarkable. Something as dramatic as this, the expulsion of a demon in the sight of everyone. And note the reaction. Well, yeah, Jesus can do that because he's a demon too. Notice how remarkably closed the heart is. How invincibly closed the mind can become. I've already made a decision about the Lord and nothing will change my mind. And then there are some who ask him for a sign from heaven. And you want to say, well, duh, I just gave you one. Somehow the freeing of a life from that destructive force that burdened and overwhelmed it is not enough of a sign. And again, this is an attitude that's alive and well today. We live in hardened opinions that we deceive ourselves into thinking we've come to on our own. And nothing will change us because we know what is right. And we live in an amazing world where all of these voices that know what is right are all believing the same thing or different things. And nobody's going to move and somebody's got to be wrong, if not all of us. Note the reaction here. In a sense, this reaction to the Lord is indicating that something is possessing these folks. Not directly a demon, but something is not letting the mind or the heart respond to even the obvious movement of the power of God. And what does it say? Well, that was nice, but prove it to me again. That was nice, but I still don't believe. And so the question comes time and again through Scripture, what's it going to take? What will it take? And the tragedy here is that those who respond to the Lord in this closed way are even more afflicted, one might say, than the one who labored under the control of the demon. Because at least that was obvious. That was clear. We knew what the problem was there. And so Jesus then continues. Will you apply this same standard to those whom you trust? Or your people cast out demons by God, but somebody else doesn't. Note the double standard that the Lord points out, and we do this as well. Our world around us does this. We ignore the wickedness that lives on my side of the opinion aisle. Because it's my side. And we are quick to point out or even manufacture senses of wickedness on the other side. All in the name of honesty, but an honesty that closes its eyes to the truth of oneself. Jesus continues. That which is divided against itself cannot stand. And so at least understand the implication of what you've just accused me of. 
If I'm a demon casting out other demons, then you may as well clap your hands and rejoice because the kingdom of evil is falling to pieces before your eyes. And you may as well be ready to celebrate that. Historically, this same statement by the Lord was used by Abraham Lincoln in 1860 when the United States stood on the brink of civil war. A nation divided against itself, a house divided against itself cannot survive. Division, disunity of this kind is intrinsically destructive and it brings an end to that which it values the most. In our present climate where outrage is so common, where hearts are so hardened and viewpoints are so extreme, a house divided against itself will not survive. What was true 2,000 years ago is true today. Think of our own families. How destructive the divisions between brothers and sisters, between husband and wife, between parents and children can become and how broken so many lives have been because of a house that divides against itself. And everyone is hardened in his or her attitude and doesn't want to be the first one to ask for forgiveness or admit a mistake. And what do we do? We perpetuate division in the name of being right. A house divided against itself will not stand. This statement that Jesus is making touches pretty much every aspect of our living. And why? Because the kingdom of Satan lives in this world. And to be alive in this world is to live under the shadow of that kingdom, and that is the truth. All of us are sinners. Something possesses us, disorders us, whether we like it or not. And that is the truth. And the Lord reveals himself as that one of a different kingdom who lives according to a different law than that divisive law, than that stubborn pride. And in expelling the demon, the Lord then says, understand, left to your own, you will all make your home in wickedness. Left to your own, You'll all open the door to your heart to wickedness, and without even realizing it, all that which is less than you will begin to dominate you. It won't be obvious, oh, but it'll be real. And when that wickedness, that stubbornness, that arrogance, that pride, that anger, that resentment, that fear, finds a home in you, it will set itself up like a strong man guarding his castle. And it won't let anything it disagrees with in. 
And when the strong, well-armed man sets himself up in his fortified castle, oh, he's safe. And all too many of us are all too easily invincibly safe in our attitudes, invincibly safe surrounding ourselves only by what we want to hear, invincibly safe holding on to the sense that I'm always innocent. And when the strong man sets him up like that, nothing overcomes him unless the stronger man arrives. Note now how Jesus describes himself. Because this is not the gentle image of Jesus that we're accustomed to. But when the stronger man arrives, he essentially breaks down the door to the castle, takes that previously strong man and throws him down and rips his armor off of him and plunders all of his possessions. Jesus is speaking about himself. And he is saying, first, I am that one who overcomes what seems to be the invincible wickedness of this world. I am that one who can reach into the heart and the reality and the home where the strong man of selfish wrong has set himself up and I can overthrow him and I've come to do that. And he's saying that to the people who challenged him, basically saying, I haven't come to let you simply rest in your heart and attitude. I'm that one who can snatch you out of it. I'm that one who can overcome that. I am that one. And I've come to do just that. I've come into this world that groans under a certain slavery to wickedness and wrong. And I've come to break those chains and to break the power of the wickedness that holds it bound. And the treasure that I seek are those who've been groaning under the weight of it. What a remarkably aggressive and yet beautiful statement on the part of the Lord. Here he says also to the strong man that can live in our heart, whatever that strong man is, whether it's my anger, whether it's my woundedness, whether it's my inability to trust, whether it's my ambition, whether it's my selfishness, whether it's my laziness, whether it's my hopelessness, that there is one who is stronger than that. And that's me. You won't find the stronger one anywhere in this world except me. Because everything else in this world is under the power of the Lord of this world. But I am not. I am the strong one who overturns the stronger. In fact, down in the Shrine Church, hanging on the side wall at the end of our Stations of the Cross is the icon of the Anastasis, 
the resurrection of the Lord. And if you look closely at that image, you see this gospel reading, this statement of Jesus is illustrated there. Jesus is depicted standing on what looks like two rectangles. Those are the broken doors of the hall of death, the hall of the devil. And Jesus is the one who kicks the doors in, and he stands on those broken doors of the fortress. And below those doors, bound hand and foot, all tied up, is the strong man who is guarding his treasure, the demon, death. And Jesus has his hands extended, and on one side he has grabbed the hand of Adam, and on the other hand, side he has grabbed the hand of Eve, and he is yanking them up out of their coffins. He is plundering the treasure. And this ancient image in the church, this goes back centuries, this idea that ultimately the Lord fulfills this statement and how he reaches even into the invincible hall of death and plunders his castle. And what is that treasure? All of those who have been overcome by the grave and swallowed up by it, never to come back. And no one can come back unless the stronger man enter the house, overcome the owner, and take his treasure. What a marvelous image of salvation. What a marvelous image of salvation. And note what that implies for us. Because in just a couple minutes, you're going to stretch out your hands to the stronger man, the Lord Jesus Christ, great and powerful. Here on the altar and from the altar, disguised as a simple piece of bread. But as you stretch out your hand to him, you are stretching out your hand to that one who is the stronger one. And whatever else has set up residence in your heart, he is stronger. And he's come to plunder that dark reality of its treasure, that you and your heart might be free. We often don't think of Holy Communion as that moment where the Lord can set us free. But that is very much a big part of what this sacrament involves. When the strong man guards his house, oh, he is safe. Until the stronger man comes. And the stronger man will take away his weapons and strip him of his armor and distribute his treasure. The only one that is threatened is the wickedness that doesn't want to let him in. But for that heart that needs his presence, this is how he enters. That one who, while he doesn't tolerate wickedness, 
has nothing but mercy, nothing but goodness, nothing but grace, nothing but real freedom for the sinner who needs him. Would then that we receive the stronger man into our hearts this day and that we allow him to give us a share of that greater freedom that he and he alone can give. Amen.